Welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's movie is Creed 2, the sequel to 2015's Creed, but obviously the eighth in the series of Rocky movies, or seventh if you want to pretend Rocky V never happened, like the smart people like us do. But I'm very happy to be joined today by my friend Nick Menta to talk about Creed 2. Nick, thanks for joining me. Tommy Gunn and I are really upset that you're not going to acknowledge Rocky V. Oh, gosh. Well, I'm, I'm, you're, we're going to end the podcast if you're going to go down that road. But I, I think we have plenty to unpack with uh, Creed 2. So for those that don't know, like I mentioned, it's obviously a sequel from 2015's Creed. Uh, Rocky is obviously still featured prominently, but Adonis Creed is now the main character, played by Michael B. Jordan. He, as we see in, within the first 10 minutes of the film, he has now become the heavyweight champion of the world and is obviously a big deal, but is unsure of where to go next. But then uh, Ivan Drago of Cree, or excuse me, Rocky Four fame, uh, all of a sudden shows up with his son and wants to challenge Adonis for the belt. He does so. Uh, it has an interesting ending where uh, Victor Drago, uh, uh, the son of Ivan, is disqualified for a late punch, and Adonis is in disarray, and we go from there. Uh, before we get back into the meat of the movie, Nick, I want to ask you a little bit. I'm excited you joined me today because you're you like myself are a Philadelphia native, but I kind of just like asked you on a whim to do this, just kind of assuming you were a fan of the Rocky movie. So I wanted to just for just for a little background, if you could talk a little bit about your relationship with the movies as someone that grew up in Philadelphia, are you as big of a fan as one would think a sports fan from Philadelphia is of the Rocky movies, and what are your what's your relationship with the series like? Yeah, I feel like it's some sort of rite of uh, passage or borderline religion at that point. It's like, all right, you know, it's it's Philadelphia. So, like, what parish do you belong to? What's your favorite Rocky movie? It's the first two questions. There you go. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, obviously a huge fan of the franchise. Rocky Three, uh, for whatever reason, just happens to be my favorite of the series. I think the huh. uh, the L.A. training montage and then particularly the shots of uh, of of Rocky and Apollo having the race on the beach and then just you know embracing and whatever found a fashion we're going to term that in the water is just it's it gets me every time so big rocky three guy interesting um, you know part of the reason and we can we can do this with creed part of the reason i was actually skeptical of creed 2 um was because i i enjoyed how grounded the first film was and it was sort of um uh, i don't know if you want to call it a return to form but just it took the source material um seriously and I was a little bit skeptical to see them move into Creed 2 only because, okay, so Ryan Coogler's not coming back. He's yep. a busy guy. He's got a lot going on. So, you know, that's kind of a, a blow up front. But then when I saw that they were going to rework Ivan Drago into this and make this a backdoor sequel to Rocky 4, I was skeptical because I like the sincerity and the groundedness and, you know, grittiness is an overused word. Uh, now it's a delightfully overused word in terms of Philadelphia. I love that mascot. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was going to take sort of the more cartoony elements of Rocky four and jam them into this thing that had a, had a appropriate level of gravity in a way. So I walked into it being skeptical. Actually, I'm glad that you went there with that point because I was also scared about Creed two and it, it ties into what you said about maybe being a little cartoony from Rocky four. The other thing, not just the fact that Ryan Coogler wasn't involved in this and all the great stuff he brought to Creed, but also that when it was, this film was first announced, Sylvester Stallone was writing it and directing it. And you mentioned Rocky three being one of your favorites. Rocky four might've been my favorite up until uh, Creed. It's I'm, I kind of have a, a very fluid ranking system. Depending on any given day, I might say Rocky Four, Rocky, or Creed are my favorite of the movies. But I mean, I love it. I love Rocky Four for all of its campiness. I rewatched it a few days ago in, in preparation of that. But being able to go in such a different direction in Creed is part of what I loved about that movie. And I was worried when I saw Sly was writing and directing that it was going to go straight back to that. Obviously, it turned out that they brought in Stephen Capel Jr., who had only ever done one film with this movie called The Land, which I actually watched earlier this year in anticipation of this just to see what, what I thought of the guy's work. And he actually got another pass at the script, and they made some changes, which I'm going to bring up later to see what you thought if, of if, if he hadn't made the changes that he did, how that would have gone. But I was just kind of worried about all that stuff, and I – uh, I think and you br you broke up a second because we had some connection issues, but it sounds like you said you were pleasantly surprised by how it turned out, despite some of your concerns. 
Yeah, for the reason you like Rocky Four, it's like, you know, the the kind of reason I like Batman 66 with Adam West. Like, you <laughs> like the campiness of it, but um, there's a time and a place for everything, and there's there's sort of, you know, thematic concerns here. So Rocky Four is at probably one end of the, of the spectrum of the Rocky series, with Creed being at the other. So you take these sort of divergent films, and you wouldn't think that they would mesh well together, and that was certainly my concern. And I think... Um, insofar as they were going to insist on going down this path, they did the best they were going to do with it. Um, I was kind of surprised at the level of humanity they were able to draw, uh, to sort of draw out of, of Ivan Drago, of his son, Victor Drago. Um, I thought the performances by Dolph, the performance specifically by Dolph Lundgren was, um, more than I was prepared for in a way. Um, I, I just, it was a lot better, a lot more serious, a lot more grounded, a lot more emotional than I thought it would be just because you think of Rocky Four and you think of absurd campiness. It really shouldn't work in this context, and somehow they made it work. Yeah, so like I mentioned, I went back and watched Rocky Four a few days ago, and one of the things that struck me, because it had been a few years, was I think I forgot just how little uh, – how how few lines Dolph Lundgren actually has in it? Even after apparently he says forty six words, and even right <laughs> after, and, and even right after watching it, all I can remember was uh, "You will lose, I must break, I must and, break and I must break you," yes. and that's basically it. And I, I I couldn't tell you like what or if he dies, he dies. Those those are the, those are the three lines that you remember, and that's like ten words. So. I, I just did not have many expectations for him, and I guess he's done other action movies, and obviously he's buddies with Sly and been in the Expendables movies. But uh, man, like, and apparently he's, apparently he's actually like a really, really smart dude. Not what you would have a, a, the stereotype of like a muscle-bound actor would actually be. He speaks like six languages. Russian's not one of them, so he has <laughs> to like learn that because almost all of his lines, except for the scene in the restaurant in Creed Two, are in Russian. But you mean the Swedish guy doesn't speak Russian? Yeah, well, I mean, whatever. He's Swedish, but speaks six languages. Russian could easily be one of them. But he, but like, man, he really wears like just by looking at his face and the expressions in this movie. And I mean, we can get to Adonis and all that, but we're talking about this now, so may as well start here because I was very impressed with what they were able to do with him. Uh, man, you can really tell like what that guy must have been through, and they don't have to over-explain it. Like he does, kind of explain it in that first uh, scene in uh, the, the restaurant with Rocky, but like. You can just imagine, based on like the way that he was brought up and as a character in Rocky Four, how he was genetically produced, basically just to be this machine. How you you don't need to have it explained that much more. How he probably we can envision how he would have been discarded and where his life would have gone from there. And I think the movie maybe could have spent more time with them, but like I didn't really feel shortchanged because I I really saw his whole entire arc on his face. I think it's interesting that you you just sort of mentioned, okay, we, we'll get to Michael B. Jordan, but first I want to focus on the Dragos because that was my level of interest in the movie walking out too. I was like, yeah, you know, Michael B. Jordan does a fine job as Adonis Creed, whatever. And I was just hung up on what I got from Ivan and Victor Drago. And you just touched on it. It's the opening scene basically tells you everything you need to know without actually providing much exposition, which they do later get into uh, in the scene in the in the restaurant in Philadelphia, but really you can just tell from the start this is a guy who once he lost that match lost his life, and that his son has grown up uh, in a markedly different life than he otherwise would have had Ivan not lost a fictional fight three decades ago. Right. Right. So um, the other part that I, I saw I had a callback to to Creed itself, and I almost had a callback to the beginning of Black Panther too. It was it was a the kind of thing you could have seen Ryan Coogler shooting. Um, when you just see the the opening scenes in in the Ukraine, everything's gray, everything looks awful. You can tell that this is like they're 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 pointing it out as a place that this is you where you don't want to be from, where you didn't want to grow up, and where you still don't want to be from. And you got all of that just in a couple shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought it was a neat way to connect. Okay, Adonis Johnson before he was adopted. Um, obviously growing up in juvie coming from a rough area. I got the, the black Panther callbacks to, um, for yet another Michael B. Jordan character. And so it was just neat that you could sort of see the, the symmetry they were trying to build from two people who are very clearly from different backgrounds, one being from California, the other one being from, you know, Eastern Europe, but, Mm -hmm. um, there are similarities there too. Yeah, and I, I think we both agree that like it's a really cool arc that they go on, and I, we'll talk about the end of the arc when we talk about the end of the movie later, I guess. But you learn plenty, of, uh, plenty about what used to be this, or you can infer plenty about what used to be the Soviet Union uh, just by looking at it. Some of the writing I've seen about the movie, though, in, in a few different places, kind of expected it to be 
at least be somewhat more political, uh, just given what our country and Russia, the ways they've been tied over the last few years, and there should have been some more of that. Uh, did you Were you hoping for more of that when you found out this was going to be a Drago film, or were you happy with the way the movie handled it where, hey, you, you can think about that stuff, but we don't need to tell you about it because, I mean, you already kind of know what our relationship's like with Russia these days. It would have been a drastically different film. Yeah. I, I guess I appreciate the point that it's like, okay, we have some real-world concerns that we could work into this, but it would have been a drastically different film and you would have sacrificed, um, multiple other plot lines and subplots just to fit in a political arc that, that probably didn't fit in all that naturally to begin with. Yeah. I think some people may have just had that expectation for the movie because I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, like Kugler wasn't involved at all. Like he wasn't even a producer on this movie, which it seems like the I kind think of thing he got an do. exact credit, but oh, he did? Know, I missed that. what that ever means. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I mean, he's a guy that's made, uh, Three movies, two of which are very, uh, very political uh, in Black Panther and Fruitvale Station. And I think they just had that expectation in this movie, but I was happy enough with what the rest of it did that, like, it's already a two hour and 10 minute movie, you know? I mean, I'm not going to be that mad about sitting through three hours of a Rocky Creed movie that's good, but, like, it would have been a lot if you had tried to really give that stuff its due. And one of the, a writer that I really liked wrote something about this and said, like, yeah, you could have had a Putin like figure sitting in the stands. And that just would have felt kind of cheap and shoehorned in, in my opinion, and uh, like kind of a, a stunt casting type of thing that I just don't really think it needed. No, I agree with you. I think it actually, in a weird way, would have taken something away from the movie because it would have it would have taken you out. Uh, you know, you're always any sort of piece of fiction you look at, you're always trying to suspend your disbelief, right? Or you're trying yeah. to just inhabit that world. Um, and there are plenty of political movies out there, political television shows that that strike close to home, or they're they're satirical, or they're they're doing things that are meant to evoke the the current moment. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, I, I you've got a boxing movie. <laughs> son of Ivan Drago. I just feel like there's, if there's a time and a place for everything, um, you know, bilateral relations with Russia probably weren't necessary in the, in Creed too. Sure. I, I want to work our way back to the, the actual namesake of this movie. And I think it's interesting that you met, you, you mentioned your love of Rocky three. Cause I actually think in a way this movie where it's a oh, recreation of Rocky three, it's it, a sequel to Rocky four, but it's, it's really a remake of Rocky three with a little Rocky two thrown in there. That's exactly what I was going to say. It is like a combination of both. Cause I think a lot of people were worried, Oh man, they're just going to totally rehash four, but it, it obviously has elements of four, but like, I think it has some of Rocky two, some of Rocky three, and even some of Rocky Balboa. Uh, and I, I mean, I think it's pretty interesting the way it combines all that stuff. And I, th- I mean, I thought Creed very specifically, the first Creed being the previous movie was very specifically a movie about just, uh, the identity you derive from your family and fatherhood and all that. Cause that's clearly what the most of the issues Adonis is dealing with throughout the movie are. Whereas I think this movie is way more ambitious in some of what it's trying to do. Cause it's still dealing with that stuff, but also biting off a lot more. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it like completely nails everything it's going for, but I respect everything that it tries to do. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I guess where, where I want to start with is you're saying it's a recreation of Rocky III. Uh, in what ways did you see those parallels aside from the fact that he loses the initial fight and then uh, has to go back and fight the guy again? Well, I, I liked it. First of all, we're moving. We're moving to California. Let's. We'll start it back. So the beginning of this movie is obviously him on top of the world, becoming right. the heavyweight champion. Um, you're seeing that he, he's moving to a new place in California. He's clearly got a lot of money, um, and he just sort of had that callback to to the beginning montage of Rocky Three, where Rocky's just mowing down opponents. I think he wins nine, ten, eleven true, straight true. fights, whatever it yeah. was. Um, but then you see this guy who is who is clearly not a pud. Right. Who, you know, who, who was, I think in, in Creed two, Rocky refers to it as he was raised in hate and he's, you know, he's training in the Ukraine and he's working at a concrete factory or wherever he is and he's moving stuff. And you just, you sort of have a callback to Mr. T is a guy who, um, is actually hungry, um, is not comfortable in the way that, that Adonis is currently comfortable. And Rocky even says to him on the street, or I guess he questions him and goes, you don't think I can win. And sort of the same speech that Mick gives to Rocky and Rocky three. It's like, look, I, I haven't been setting you up with total losers this whole time, but like Mr. T is, is not the kind of guy you've been fighting before. Right. Then of course, like you just mentioned, he doesn't, in this case, he doesn't lose the first match he should have if, you know, Victor doesn't get disqualified or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he has the redemption arc where we gotta, we gotta go 
train for real. Right. And then Rocky's going to get you back and then we're going to have to go to Russia again. But, um, yeah, in terms of the dramatic structure of the movie, um, it had those Rocky three parallels. And then I think you'll probably want to touch on this in a second, just cause we talked about Rocky two, but, um, you know, having a kid for the first time, having concerns over family, that, that sort of stuff. Yeah. I think what, part of what struck me about Rocky four watching again was just how it's very lean and that it's like only an hour and a half, but it's still, it was more evident to me after watching that than I guess my first, my first several watches of the Rocky movies where I was like, man, these movies are really just like about the male ego. Like every one of them, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's about him having a reason not to fight. And I think Adrian's a fine character, but unfortunately I think some of those movies do reduce her to just being the woman that yells about how he can't win and how he shouldn't fight. And it's, it's good that a little bit of a wet blanket. Role. Yeah. It's good that they give Bianca, uh, more 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 to do in life even though i think they this movie actually left a lot of that stuff on the cutting room floor which i might get to but while they're able to have that whole arc of him just like having to deal with his career running throughout this movie i mean it uses those elements of rocky 2 that you mentioned and also rocky 4 it would be like do you need to do you really need to keep doing this and whether or not he has the reason to do that and i i was waiting for that scene that he had that i knew it was going to have to happen when i found out what this movie was going to be about where he was going to have that conversation with rocky it's like do you really need to do this because everyone's calling rocky out in rocky four it's like there's really no reason to do this and rocky four he actually isn't even getting paid for the fight with drago and he's just doing it for a just to avenge apollo's death and no other reason here i guess he's getting a chance to avenge his dad's death but he's not like he's fighting the guy that actually killed his dad and uh i don't know i I liked first of all him having to confront rocky about that and then the fact that like uh it's interesting bianca doesn't really fight him on it that much it's more about him being afraid to tell his um his mom about it uh Mm -hmm. but i i thought it found unique ways to kind of handle those that conundrum that an like an athlete like that goes through it's like who are you still doing this for? And he's asked that a lot, and he eventually has to acknowledge, I'm just doing it to feed my own ego, and I want to be dangerous. Yeah, I was going to say, what what did you think of his motivations in this movie? Because walking out, I felt like I understood or was at least sympathetic to the plight of the Tragos more than I necessarily identified with with anything that, that Michael B. Jordan was going through in the movie, Not not from a family sense, but in terms of, yeah, they, you know, every character in the film asks him, why are you doing this? And, and he has the, the, what guys, should I say spoiler alert? I, I guess we're just going to go through the end here. He does have yeah, a scene at the end it. of Apollo's grave where he just says, oh, you know, I was doing it for me. Something about that just, just sort of rang, rang hollow for me. And I saw a headline just the other day and I should do a better job. I should have written it down or something, uh, or at least I could credit the guy, but the headline was something like, are we sure we're or not? Are we sure it's a Bill Simmons trope, but something like, why are we supposed to warm up? to Michael B. Jordan's character in Creed. And I do think there's something to that. When you, when you get to the end of Creed two, you're like, okay, you were the protagonist. You were the hero of the movie. You did win the fight, but you leave and you just go, eh, I'm not entirely sure what the point of that was. Yeah. I mean, other than someone challenged you and you wanted to prove to yourself that you could be the champ. But, but there's something about the, the Drago arc that, that at least like lets you sink your teeth into it more so than just, I'm the champion. I have to fight. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it's obvious that we were, we're in agreement there because we spent the first 15 minutes talking about the Dragos when the movie's called uh, Creed two. But I mean, I think part of it is that he hasn't worked out all of his father issues from the first one. And I mean, that's obviously a big thing where I guess, I mean, I'm very lucky. I rolled sevens on parents. I've had both of my parents my whole life. And I think it's just uh, one thing that like, I guess, that I've read a lot about is that like people that grew up without a father, uh, in some respects, blame themselves for it and wonder why, why they, I mean, it's a little weird that he does it. Cause it's like his dad didn't even know he existed when his dad died. But I mean, I guess that's, that, that doesn't change the fact that you're still going to be asking yourself those whole questions your whole life and trying to live up to that shadow. So, I mean, a lot of it obviously is that, and he wants to just kind of prove his worth and prove that he's for real and finding any challenge to overcome. But, I mean, I think at some point it, it, it is good that he kind of confronted that and he's not projecting it onto other people. And he does eventually admit, yeah, you know, it is all just about me uh, because I think he had a lot of reason not – he had even more reason not to fight than Rocky did in the earlier Rockier movies because uh, I, I, we see the way Rocky's living in Rocky Four. He's in a big mansion and he's obviously not living in a big mansion in these new movies. He, he, might, he was not financially set for life the way Apollo was. As we can see, Apollo's widow is still living very comfortably. He, and he did not come from a wealthy family either, as Adonis eventually did once he got adopted. So one, Adon- Adonis has family money to fall back on. Two, he has a, uh, a wife or a, a fiancé who has what we're told is a burgeoning singing career, even though uh, it's like – as I saw at this point somewhere 
earlier today, I think in uh, one of the articles I read that like she's selling out all these Philly music venues, but she is just now getting an agent when she moves to Los Angeles. Right. So it, it's a it's a little <laughs> unclear exactly how successful she is, and it, but she's about to go on this big record tour. And I actually saw uh, I guess Tessa Thompson was on Jimmy Kimmel, and they said that. Uh, they actually filmed a scene where she performed on Jimmy Kimmel that got cut from the movie. So there was other stuff that that was filmed that they didn't keep in about her career. And I thought there could have been more about that, like a discussion with her just about, do you need to do this when we don't financially need it? And I I like the twist where she's not being like Adrian, just telling him not to fight. But I thought we could have at least talked a little more about her career because it's kind of odd. It's like she gets all these like concert tours that she's about to go on. The next scene she finds out she's, she's pregnant. And then we don't hear another thing about her career until she's singing his walkout song to the last fight. She does really disappear for the second half of the movie. I was gonna, I was gonna say yeah. the third act, but no, it's re- it's really half the movie. So where, where I feel like, I, yeah, I feel like I kind of get his motivations, but there could have been more of just like kind of the other characters calling him out a little bit, you know? That's fair. Um, what I was surprised by, um, I guess, because we're we've now talked about two things that that we would have maybe liked to have seen, or or just were surprised weren't in the movie. Number one. Uh, the political ramifications of the current moment, and then number two, just more of Tessa Thompson's character. What I was surprised was in there that I was not expecting was um, kind of revisiting Rocky's relationship with his own son mm-hmm. um, because we really only got that in Rocky Balboa, and I, I'm actually a fan of, uh, let's just call it Rocky Six. I'm a fan of Rocky Six, which I know is, I don't know, some people liked it more than others. I was a fan, but I felt like that character was not necessarily dropped in Creed, but like Creed just went off and split off in a different direction. And I didn't know that we'd ever actually be revisiting that relationship and to sort of have it be um, an emotionally resonant part of this film was something I, I didn't expect. Well, I'm glad they did, but it, it is a little weird. I In Rocky Balboa, it, there were, his and Bob is Robert, I guess is his son's name. Their relationship right. is strained at the beginning of the movie, but then by the end, they're like, back and he's in his corner at the fight basically and and now they're back to being strained again yeah and, but like there's a reference like in creed when adonis moves into rocky's house and he looks at a picture he's like oh is that your son he's like yeah he's living in seattle with his girlfriend they're having a grand old time and but i haven't talked to him much lately but that's all they say so it's not it's not all that clear like uh, clearly something happened with the relationship off screen uh, but I mean, I'm glad they went back there and um, you don't need to have every little thing explained as to why things went wrong. It's kind of implied that Rocky's had a lot of issues and you can kind of figure that out on your own. But I mean, I am glad they did address that. Cause it's like, we're seeing him be this great father figure in many ways and flying across or taking trains across the country to be there for Adonis and running up to his fight when he sees he gets beat, beat up by Victor, but without it, with what, but they're not it looked like maybe they're not going to really acknowledge the fact that like he clearly is not in his son's life. And I, it didn't feel too shoehorned in, even though it was maybe like the fourth subplot of this movie. You know, I think it, it was nice that they were able to somehow give that it's give that a, a somewhat full arc. And even though it was just kind of like a parallel to that final scene where Creed is at Apollo or Adonis is at uh, Apollo's gravestone. I mean, it's a nice moment. And I guess they, it's nice they got uh, Milo Ventimiglia to show back up because they filmed Rocky Balboa like 13 years ago. And right. He's like, sure, I'll reprise that role from 13 years ago for like two lines. And he's a much more popular guy now than he was then because he's on This Is Us. Uh, but I guess they're, they're happy to have him there if he's willing to do it. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm glad they found a way to do that because like I said, I do think this movie bit off a lot. And I, and I some of the, like you said, we just talked about stuff we thought it could have done better, but I still like a lot of what it did with respect to like – everything that he was going through it's just there and all the questions about whether or not he should have even taken the fight like i thought a lot of that was well done it just could have been done a little differently and this is just another thing the movie managed to do on top of the stuff with drago on top of the stuff with the donis and we haven't even talked about the fights and stuff like that yet so no i mean just one other thing about the sun um early in this movie I, I sort of he's he's back he's back in the cemetery talking to adrian again i did i did appreciate the uh the bottle of liquor on paulie's uh headstone hmm. as always but um, it almost felt um, repetitive just seeing him back in the cemetery again. I'm like, all right, how many uh, how many shots can I see of old Rocky at the cemetery talking to Adrian? And, and I'm glad they addressed the part with the son because something about it, and I think you just alluded to this, would have felt incomplete otherwise. You just mentioned like, all right, well, this guy is basically being a, a de facto father figure to Michael B. Jordan's character. What about your own son, especially when you're sitting here at the cemetery by yourself lamenting how you're alone? Um you know, you could do something about that. So it, 
it would have been a, a plot hole or at least a thematic hole, um, mm-hmm. a character hole. So yeah. to see them actually follow through on that and, and not just have another stereotypical Rocky's alone at the cemetery for no reason scene, um, seeing that payoff was yeah, and yeah. I agree, yeah, and I agree. I mean, it could be repetitive, but it made a lot of sense to me that, like, like you said, it's a logical reason for him to go reconnect with the son. But like, one of my favorite moments in Creed was that, like, uh, when you see him at the gravestone, because I think when you first meet, uh, when he first meets Adonis, uh, and he doesn't want to train him in Creed, uh, you're like, man, well, I mean, I, I, I why, why don't you really want to do this? And then, uh, and then he, he, then you see him like sitting at this graveyard in Creed, and you, at that point, you don't know that Paulie has died. We knew Adrian was uh, Adrian died before the events of Rocky Balboa, so you knew he she wasn't there. But Paulie is in Rocky Balboa. He dies between that and Creed. So then he goes to the graveyard in Creed, and he's visiting both of their graves. And it's like, wow, like Rocky literally has no one left in his life. Like he's probably sitting at this graveyard, just like realizing, like this is something that can give my life meaning if I go train this kid. Like what? Am, I mean, sure, I can still go visit their graves, but like this gives me something else worthwhile to do with my time and invested in and so i mean i i I really like that aspect of it and here it's like that gives him motivation to do that and here it gives him motivation to just go back with this kid when he's sitting there and it's 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 an interesting choice like we talked a little bit about how they they move things away from philadelphia and i'm wondering like how i mean philadelphia is so closely identified with these movies that like I know it'll be in future Creed movies in some capacity, but if who knows, maybe if Adonis is permanently in LA now, like it's going to be a little, they're going to have to be a little more creative to get Philadelphia involved. But like, have to find an excuse to go back. Yeah, right? but, it, but I mean, so that's a big thing that they did, and it takes some guts, but like it makes sense. And I mean, I, lo- I obviously love Philadelphia, but like if they're going to make that departure, then like I mean, I. I, I think it, they set that up pretty well to have Rocky do something as drastic. Like they talk about how he doesn't like traveling, but he still makes that trip, you know. So I mean, a small thing like that cemetery scene, though, I think it just says a lot. About if you if you know about Rocky, but I mean, and I people still enjoy these movies if, even if they haven't seen the original Rocky movies as much as us. But if you do know it well, I think those scenes resonate with you for sure. Um, yeah, and you know, you just alluded to um, to the the change in venue to L.A. and and where. Michael B. Jordan's character might be moving forward. Um, I guess there's at least some consideration of like how long is Sylvester Stallone still in this franchise? Um, I'm sure he'll always have his hands in it, but like how long is the Rocky character still in this franchise? Um, is this, is this a universe, whether it's Creed three, Creed four, Creed five, Creed 77, where, uh, we see Rocky maybe die on film, which, you know, it, it was kind of the, I didn't think about it until I, I had a friend who saw it opening night. That was one of his first thoughts. Be like, I wonder if we ever see Rocky die in one of these movies. And just the way Creed two ended with, uh, what does he say to him? I think it's your time now, something like that. And then Rocky sits down in the chair and then they have the, the, the pan away while he's sitting in the chair with his back to the camera. It just sort of alluded to that, that possibility for the first time. You're like, well, I already gave him cancer I and mean, he's better now, but this guy is getting older and, and clearly there's, in that scene, there does seem to be some sort of passing of the baton or passing of the torch, as it were. Yeah, I don't think he needs to be like as prominently featured in the ne- the next one as he was in Creed or Creed Two, and maybe that could be how they go back to Philadelphia. Uh, I mean, he. I mean, it, it will. It's weird. This movie makes it seem like he really is the Creed whisperer. Like he's just totally clueless with how to approach a fight without Rocky in his corner. And then, if I tell you how to make Italian sauce, you'll win the fight, right? Right. Yeah. Like Rocky can just like be there and tell him to do the three things he needs to all of a sudden beat victor but i mean if he does for whatever reason like just decides not to train i mean he's going to stay in philadelphia because rocky doesn't want to leave philadelphia then maybe you just have him as like a cameo in a couple scenes in the next couple of movies or something like that and that's that and that's when creed has to go back to philadelphia to talk to him or see him for whatever reason and maybe three creed movies down the line that's a big thing that creed has to deal with when rocky dies i don't know i don't i don't think they need to kill him but like if they do it the right way i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be upset you know yeah, so long as they uh, they don't do a total recreation of Rocky Three and just have him like you know have a heart attack and a weigh in and then yeah, yeah <laughs> and, 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 and then and then blame the opposing fighter and call him a murderer because uh, right. he yelled someone yelled at him or something like that. That's um, that's why for for future films and maybe we can touch more on this whenever we we get to the end. But for future films, I am kind of curious now that they've basically uh, made a backdoor sequel to Rocky Four by recreating elements of Rocky Two and Three. I would like to see if Creed three strikes out a little more on its own um, or whether it kind of 
makes an effort to really stick as close to the Rocky lore as it can. And there's, there's not much more you can lean into it than bringing back Ivan Drago for the love of God. Well, so, okay, so I, I, stick with is... Rocky lore and, and work something out of that. Or do you, do you strike out in a new direction and really make this Michael B. Jordan's own sort of project? Okay. Well, this is going to be one of the last things I asked you, but since you bring it up now, I was reading an interview with, or I, or I, Oh, actually it, w- it wasn't even in the interview, but the writer that did this interview is Stephen Capel, uh, put in one of his tweets when he was promoting the article that Stephen Capel told him that he has an idea for a sequel that works in Clubber Lang. So I see, that's exactly what I'm trying to avoid. <laughs> okay. Well, you said Rocky Theory is your favorite. So I didn't know if you wanted a, a movie that uh, brings back Mr. T in a dramatic role, similar to what they did with Drago here. Do you, do you, do you, so it sounds like you don't even really want them to try and pull that off though. Uh, on the face of it, no, but I guess I, I was proven wrong by what happened in right. Rocky two, because I would have told you up front that like, no, I don't, I, don't, I do not want to see you mine the well of Ivan Drago because I was convinced that well was pretty dry to begin with. Um, and, and somehow they, they went down and made it deeper and added water to it 30 years later. This might be a tall, um, this might be a taller order because I mean, we know even less about Clubber Lang's backstory and I, is probably even less to work Clubber with. Lang been up to for the last 35 years. Yeah. yeah. I don't mean like maybe he actually became even more of a Mr. T character, which I mean, it, it would be a taller order. Cause I think Mr. T's le- even less known for acting than, uh, Dolph Lundgren is. And maybe, I don't know what his acting chops necessarily are like, but maybe like, uh, Clubber Lang just like became the kind of like C-list celebrity that Mr. T is and is in a dark place and. Uh, he has a long lost son that's going to be a fighter right. and that'll be his ticket is, out of celebrity all this stuff is sort of striking a balance right you wouldn't <laughs> look you're making the the eighth or ninth rocky movie at this point right. so you know there's a difference between sort of like fan service and wanting to appease people who have been watching these movies for three decades and who watch them over and over and over but um you you spun this off or rebooted this or whatever we want to consider creed because you're trying to do this for for a new generation or you're trying to keep this thing alive and so i do think there is a value in trying something new, which I thought Creed did. Um, whereas Creed two went back and and really mined what's frankly an absurd film. I like Rocky <laughs> a lot. I like Rocky four a lot, but I like it for the wrong reasons. Uh, <laughs> I feel the same I, way. I do feel like over the last I don't know ten, fifteen, whatever it is, I'm going to pick an arbitrary amount of years. I feel like it was always the ironic thing to say. I really like Rocky four. Because it's a plainly ridiculous film. But, like, it was fun and it was campy and you could get on board with it. And at some point, that sort of ironic approach became, like, this sincere, like, Rocky IV is a great film kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just love, I, I just think it's so much fun. Like, I, It is fun, but it's, it's fun for the wrong but, reason. But, but I, li- I like saying Rocky ended the Cold War. But I don't, yes, I, don't exactly. I, I, I don't I don't genuinely think he won the Cold War he ended the Cold War but like I mean and that's why I was fine with like them not taking that not trying to that take that aspect stance. of it too yeah. seriously because I mean I, I just didn't need it if I could change you can change we all can change moment I, I I just didn't I didn't need that but I like joking about it and I don't because it's just so so funny and not like outwardly bad like i i can just wholeheartedly enjoy it in rocky four but respect the fact that the creed movies are doing something different yeah and it's fun it's sort of like it's sort of like if you read about rocky four but didn't actually watch it and then walked into creed two you could just have an entirely different understanding of what True. rocky four was yeah. like the inver- this is the inverse examples of what the star wars films have done and in, in other prequel and sequel films where a lot of times if you go ahead and Make a prequel or a sequel to a really beloved movie from years ago. The choices you make either before the events of the original film or after the events of the original film some way fundamentally alter the when you're watching the original product, right? So like if you know how Han Solo dies in episode uh, eight, right, it, it can fundamentally sort of change the way you watch the original films just like it can with a prequel film. Sure. Normally, and I think most Star Wars fans, or I guess I shouldn't make generalizations, but I think a lot of Star Wars fans will tell you all those, all those things make the original product worse or color it in a certain way. I know I feel that way about Hayden Christensen and Darth Vader, for example, right? Um, what Creed did is the opposite. Creed somehow made a 35-year-old film better. Right. No, that's, that's, and you that's just really don't kind of see that. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about it that way. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, and I guess I, I, I mean, I guess I could go, who knows? I, cause I literally rewatched Rocky four, like 
the morning I saw Rocky, the morning I saw Creed too. So I don't even, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to think of it in those terms, but like it is fresh enough in my mind that I can be like, wow, like I, it, it is cool that it can put all of that stuff uh, in a different context. And I can, I, I can look at Drago as more than just, just a, a empty slate of a machine of a man, you know? Right. Which is which is clearly what he was in Rocky Four, um, and and yet now you have this incredibly human, dare I say, sympathetic version of Ivan Drago, where by the end of the film you're like, <laughs> yeah, I somehow I'm more invested in this character than the than the guy whose name is on the film. Yeah, I want to talk about these the fights for a second, uh, sure, c- c- for, but just off of that point because uh, one one area where I do think this uh, d- drags behind uh, cr- cr- the original Creed a little bit is, and I don't know if this is, I, I guess this is more on, I don't know if this is more on the director just not uh, doing something, figuring out a different way to top what came before him because it's the same uh cinematographer maurice alberti but there's nothing in the fights here that is as uh uh, crazy entertaining and suspenseful as the second fight in creed with the tracking shot and um and even that first tijuana fight in creed is just the what what i think it's also a tracking shot leading into it just make that feel really intense when you're following adonis when he's basically punching the wall and one of the things that my first watch of creed that like it was almost the first, last fight was almost a letdown because I, I felt like i was just listening to jim lampley then the whole time and like instead of actually like being absorbed in the fight when it was just a long tracking tracking shot in the second and here like i feel like i listened to max kellerman for like half the film and the fights themselves were just they were fine. They weren't like I, one thing I did note. Want to note is I don't think I ever saw anyone block a punch in the first seven Rocky movies. And you actually see like uh, Creed in the first fight blocking a couple punches. It takes a lot out of him to block those punches, but he blocks some of Victor's punches, which I'm like, wow, that's really cool because I just watched Rocky Four where he does not block a single punch of Drago's. So and, was like, and there's no effort made to try. Yeah, there's like, so it was at least unique that they had him do that. But that was it. But the moment where Drago throws in the towel is maybe more moving than anything I've seen in any other Rocky fight. So I, I just think that's a cool. It was a cool way to like really bring that character full circle as we were just talking about and really moved me almost more than anything that Rocky or Creed did in any of the first seven movies. Yeah. The, you know, so many sort of blockbuster films you watch, even if you've obviously never seen it, you go opening night, you've read no spoilers. A lot of times you can just predict sort of a plot beat for beat. Um, I did not see Victor Drago throwing in the towel. In fact, uh, when Vi- or, sorry, Ivan Drago throwing in the towel. In fact, when Victor struggles to get up off the mat, when he's not going to make the ten count, or he looks like he might not make the ten count, there's um, there's a, a shot of Dolph basically walking away from the yeah, ring. Yeah, it you looks think, you like think he's, he's leaving. Yeah, yeah, I think he's leaving. Yeah, I think he's deserting Victor the way that um, his his ex wife did the entire film, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you see him up in the apron with the towel, and I just I. It was a really clever sort of sleight of hand or misdirection, whatever you want to call it, because I definitely did not think that that's where that was headed. And yes, it was as emotionally resonant as anything in Creed 2 and, and probably in really any of the Rocky moves. I was surprised by it in a good way. Yeah, I, it was a it was a gut punch to me, and I, and I and even though I didn't see it coming, it didn't feel cheap and out of place because uh, while earlier in the movie, he, I mean, he was obviously uh, fairly emasculated and humiliated and whatever you want to call it when he's like sitting there uh, with his ex wife and who are these other Russian dignitaries trying to like get back into their good graces. I, he obviously wants to, but at the same time. It makes sense that off screen he probably would have done some self reflection and just realized like, uh, man, this isn't worth it i would ra- but I, I would rather just be there for my son like i it, mm-hmm. ma- it made sense to me that he would have probably come to that conclusion on his own and at the same time i still didn't see that coming which i thought was just really impressive storytelling yeah i would agree um how the actor who actually played victor drago florian do we know how to pronounce his last name uh, Montano? i do i did not i mean i i feel like i heard it a couple times but other people okay. would Mont- montano or montano Mont- seems like a okay. good guess yeah so so apologies on the pronunciation but yeah. what i will say on florian's behalf is that for a character who does not speak much in this film yeah it's about as much as drago does in rocky 4 he does a pretty successful job of emoting yeah all things considered now look i mean when he does speak, it's it's mostly in subtitles, so I, I guess I shouldn't say he doesn't speak at all. But he still has fairly few lines. He's the you know sort of silent stoic type, but he does emote really well. He shows rage really well, but he also has um, just sort of smaller facial tics that kind of reveal what's going on under the surface, or at least 
uh, allow some room for interpretation there, and it's uh, it's a more fleshed out performance than than Dolph gave thirty five years ago or thirty years ago. Yeah, you totally buy that he is like pretty worried about like what his dad's going to think of him, and and even though like obviously all these Russians had expectations for Ivan in Rocky Four, you never really actually saw how he felt about that at all. And you could certainly see what um, what Victor is feeling, uh, for sure. Uh, one thing about Ivan that is another thing that got changed when Stephen Capel got into the script. Uh, Sly's original script apparently dealt a lot more with what is mostly implied and uh, briefly mentioned in Rocky Four of uh, anabolic steroid use on the part of <laughs> Ivan Drago. And apparently, Rocky like was gonna. Uh, apparently, Stallone was actually gonna really dive into that in this script, and Capel convinced him to just scratch it. And I think that's a pretty good move because I thought that they actually uh, – one, we, we didn't really need that. Like, I mean we know like there, there are evil Russians out there and they – he's playing dirty in um, – he's playing dirty in Rocky Four with late punches and all that in the fight with Apollo and even a little bit with Rocky. But also it's like I like that they didn't just make – like obviously we, we both have expressed that we felt some sympathy for Ivan here, but – it's not like he is just out there putting his heart on his sleeve. Like he's kind of a dick to Rocky, and I when he, when he first comes on the screen in, in Creed two, and I I kind of I didn't need you to, then to add anything on top of that to make him more dislikable. Like they give him this like veneer of him playing the tough guy, and yet it becomes evident that like he's just kind of putting on an act. And I thought that struck a pretty good balance in how to bring this character back to us. I didn't need us diving into like his history of cheating. No, I I don't know what that really would have accomplished and i think he's i think he said they they imply in rocky four that he's on steroids it's the strongest implication then of of, of any of any implication you, yeah I've you see seen. a needle with stuff shooting out of it i mean what else do you need yeah right so but I, but i don't know what that would have added to the film i don't know that there's a ton else to say about that mm-hmm. um as for as for that exchange in the restaurant um yeah he certainly wasn't warm um by any stretch but I don't know. It was less. He says something. He says something at the weigh-in too, or at the press conference that, like, I, I'm forgetting it now. That like pisses off Adonis and makes him go after him. Like he's playing. He's playing the act for sure. Yeah, he's he's certainly playing it up. But um, that was that was the little bit of exposition in the film that that you and I talked about that they actually didn't need. But um, it wasn't bad either. Uh, you sort of you very quickly understood what happened to Ivan Drago. Mm-hmm. over the last 30 years just in the opening shots of the film but then he does explicitly say it's a rocky i lost everything because of you and i didn't even think that was necessarily being dickish so much as um i am now holding you up as as the turning point of my life and i'm not going to like you just because everybody else kind of likes you um right. uh so I, I thought that was effective i also really enjoyed uh stallone's first line in that scene which is something to the effect of is it you or it's you or it's just one of those things where like this is not a guy i expected to be sitting in my restaurant this is not what when i got out of bed this morning i didn't think i was going to have this interaction and it's yeah. you know it's, it's it's just kind of one line but it was it yeah was I, I mean i was really in suspense like just as i was when adonis first confronts him in the restaurant in the first one i was like man how are they gonna how are they gonna do this well how do you even open that up i mean i was glad it wasn't like hey well pal i mean because i guess we actually really do, don't have any idea like at, before that point like if they have had any kind of off-camera relationship the whole time uh no you I, it's pretty clear that they haven't seen each other in the yeah, 30 years yeah so once he walks in that that, is, that that is the case um Trying to think. The one thing he did do that was kind of heelish, because yeah. um, he repeats the same line twice in that scene where he says good pictures, right? right. Um, the first time you can kind of take it just to mean, oh, you know, you, you kind of it's what's what's the old phrase like history is written by the uh, sorry history is written by the winners. Rocky can have all these great old pictures up because he ended up victorious in the end, right? He was the champion. He did slay everybody, including Tommy Gunn at the end. Um, sure. You know, so he gets to look back on that stuff fondly. Whereas if you're Ivan Drago, uh, it's really just a, a portrait of failure. So he doesn't get to sort of appreciate that kind of history in the same way that Rocky does. So the first time he says it, you can you can interpret it kind of under under that guy's. But when when he leaves and he says good picture and he's looking at that headshot of Carl Weathers, you're just like, well, that's just a dick move. <laughs> yeah. So there were, you know, the repetition made it clear what he meant at the end. But at least I I actually was more drawn into it in in the first place when it's like, oh, you get to kind of revel in your own history, whereas I I don't. Right. I mean, and but he does like, I mean, he, I don't know, and and like I said with him, like not necessarily being the nicest guy on the surface. I mean. 
in, in like a messed up way he almost is like reveling in the history just by like of all things like going to challenge the guy whose daddy killed i mean like yeah. he, he, he he on the surface like he is showing absolutely like no remorse no remorse or like empathy or anything so it's like even though he doesn't his life didn't become much that was good i he is at the same time like not really showing any level of nuance with respect to that history and i I think that makes it even more impressive that we do feel so much sympathy for him later on which is a pretty big accomplishment on the part of the film um I try to think what else uh, I wanted to touch on that we didn't really get to. I mean, I, we didn't really talk much about the the kid and the um, the, the baby and the, the hearing stuff. Uh, I, I don't know if you had any thoughts on just like how that was handled. I thought it was like a really well acted scene when they're dealing with that. But and you, I mean, and we didn't talk that much, I guess, about the scenes where he is like having to hang out with just the kid when she goes to the recording studio or anything like that. I mean, I guess it. Uh, I don't know. I didn't have any thoughts on that, but I guess it, it kind of plays back into a little bit about what we were saying about how he is just trying to kind of think about what he wants to do with his life because that's at a, a weird in, in between point in the movie where they're telling him, "Look, you got to schedule a fight, man." Um, and I guess that 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 is kind of like a I don't know. It, it is a little bit. I don't want to say it's a, a sluggish part of the movie, but it's just like a it's a lull. But it, I guess it's nice that the movie makes time for it because I'm sure boxers go through like weird periods like that when something dramatic happens in their career. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of how to put this. Um, I don't know what it added to the film, actually. Yeah. Um, I understood the sort of the 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 elements of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's like, all right, we're not just dating anymore. Now we're engaged. We're going to get married. Okay, now we're having a kid. So now, even though I want this fight in my boxing career to be all about me, it can't be all about me anymore. Mm-hmm. It makes um, sense in terms of the plot that the the kid would have you know, uh, potentially be born deaf or having hearing deficiency or, or whatever you want to, uh, they don't specify w- what it is in the film, but, um, it's, it's an emotional scene and it's a well-acted scene as you put it. But in terms of the plot of Rocky or sorry, the plot of Creed two, um, I'm not sure that it changed anybody's yeah. character motivations, right? Like it's there and it makes sense that it would be there at least just in terms of like, um, you know, Tessa, Tessa Thompson's character has progressive hearing loss, but I don't know that it changes anybody's motivation in the film. And I don't know that it, um, unless I'm missing something, I'm not sure what theme yeah, it has. It's, it's, it's also, well, it's also a nice moment where Rocky tells him he's got to man up and deal with it. Like he can't just like not, that's a, not think about that's it. That's a good point. I mean, but I mean, I, again, I don't know if it accomplishes a ton, but it's just a nice moment between uh, Rocky and Adonis where he's, telling him like you have legit responsibilities now aside from just being a fighter for whatever reasons you want to be a fighter and you it's not something you can just compartmentalize you you're gonna have to like be there and this isn't something you can run away from like he was uh possibly running away from his uh career issues rematch earlier in the movie it's something you got to be a man and confront head on but it is what it is you know like i don't know if you need to take that much more from it but like that was a pretty well acted scene between uh michael b jordan and sylvester stallone i agree Um, yeah but i I, that was just something i wanted to mention it was like a it was a decent sized chunk of the movie that we just hadn't touched on but uh but yeah i mean i feel like we've uh fairly well covered this is there are there any other parts of this that we didn't talk about that you wanted to you you wanted to mention before we signed off uh, you mentioned Max Kellerman. I, I actually like Max Kellerman. I've uh, yeah, I don't have it. <laughs> just it didn't work here. It just didn't work, especially especially the very end of the fight. I, I wish I could remember what he said, but it was just so sort of. Um, I actually wasn't that uh, bothered by him. I, I just felt like there was a lot of him. I, I don't. I don't. I, I didn't have a moment like that where I was like, "Oh, that's really on the nose." What he's saying. Like, I didn't yes. have that. But I, 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 the, the announcers just bothered me more in the third fight in Creed because the lack of the announcers was so awesome in the second fight in Creed. Whereas here, it's just like they're all kind of called the same way, and it's whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was a lot of Max Kellerman who I do not find objectionable in real life, but it's like... No, but for some reason, it just didn't work here. When it seems like he has like the third most lines in the movie, it is <laughs> it, it is uh, an interesting choice, for sure. Um, 
But yeah, um, we, and we, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but like before, uh, it sounds like you're still uh, trying to process exactly what you would want from the next one of these movies because I got I understand your initial instinct for like, ah, do we really want to go down that road with Mr. T? But again, maybe these movies have earned the benefit of the doubt from us in regards to those kind of choices. If it wasn't that, is there another way you could see this movie going that would feel fresh and unique or, or are you just going to leave that up to the powers that be? Well, I don't have any choice, right? But um, right. I, I just think the the bar for doing this stuff, and it, look, maybe it's maybe it's lower than I think it is, or maybe this is really a testament to Creed too that they figured out a way to give some pathos to freaking Ivan Drago, right? Yeah. But I just I think you're, I don't know, continuing to mine that that well is is a little bit of a there has to be some diminishing returns there, especially because all right, let's let's project this out even further. Let's say uh, let's say Creed three is is Mr. T, right? What does Creed four look like? Mm. Like, are we, are we bringing back? We we've been joking about Tommy Gunn this whole time. Are we bringing back Antonio Tarver to like reprise the the role of Mason mm. the Line Dixon? Like like where does this go? Like at some point. Um, I think I think it would at be, some point mining the Rocky stuff feels more like a crutch, right? Like you you do need to strike out and like just create something new at some point. Or yeah, I mean I, I don't even use the term strike out. That implies it's a failure. I think the biggest. Well, I guess the, I mean the, 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 strike the, out on well, your right. Own. The, well, the, the most impressive thing I think they could do at this point is like create their own iconic villain that becomes Rocky or Creed Cannon. You know what sure. I mean? And sure. that, that that would be like really cool because I mean like you said we both agreed that like what they did here with Drago was super impressive and I, honestly like there's gonna be at least two more of these like i heard michael b jordan i listened to his uh bill simmons podcast like he, he said he wanted to make four or five or right so many. i mean who knows how many but i'm fairly confident this movie's going to make enough money that there's going to be a third and i'm sure michael b jordan's going to be a big enough star at that point with ever whatever he does between now and then that like he's going to have the juice to get a fourth made all on his own if he wants to so if we presume there's going to be at least two more i'm he, i'm actually here for a clubber lang movie if they can find a good way to do it like it would be <laughs> Look, real I'll, you know i'll go <laughs> it would be yeah it would be really cool i think if like i said earlier He's not as much of a natural actor as uh, Dolph Lundgren, and I say that natural actor with air quotes, but like it would be really impressive if they got like a real – if they found – it would be even more impressive if they were able to elicit pathos from Clubber Lang. But then if then in four, like because then you're really out of iconic characters that – At some point, you do need to create something. Yeah, Antonio Tarver, like no, I don't think anyone was like – that mad about him but he's that's not uh mason dixon or mason the line dixon or whatever they called him like he's not he's not iconic in the same way that drago was and uh tommy gunn just just no so (laughs) like we can just say that like at that point they would their their well would be dry and that would be a really cool challenge for them to tackle um and i think we're in agreement on that yeah uh, Nick, before we go, I, uh, if uh, hopefully we'll have you back soon. But until then, uh, if people want to get more of your thoughts on sports, pop culture, golf, where can they read slash find you? Uh, golfchannel.com. You can read. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nick Menta GC, uh, where it is considerably less golf, considerably more uh, professional basketball and professional wrestling. Yeah, and <laughs> and and uh, my 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 Twitter as usual is at Josh Chernovoy, J O S H J U R N O V O Y, and you're not going to find much professional wrestling on there, but uh, similar similar to Nick's feed, you're going to see plenty of uh, Philadelphia Sixers, Seventy Sixers content on there, as well as uh, the other movies and TV stuff, TV stuff as usual. And uh, you can find me on Letterbox also at Joshua Chernovoy. So. Uh, Nick, thanks again. I, this is fun. I'm glad I was able to get a Philly person for this, and I appreciate all of your insights. Thank you, Josh. All right. And uh, every, everyone else, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, as we hit the home stretch of Oscar season, you'll see plenty of other stuff. We'll have a podcast soon on Widows and on Ralph Breaks the Internet. So stay tuned for that, and we'll see you next time.